This is Nuestra Palabra, Latino writers having their say on the air. Tuning you into the Latino literary renaissance in all its splendor. Interviews, teatro, rap, fiction, poetry, memorias, composer spotlights, and more. Always mas. Last leg of the preseason tour, and all made possible by the Latino Bookstore. We've been having these events in book deserts throughout Texas. So, believe it or not, Houston, Texas, which is the largest city in Texas, fourth largest city in America, how many Latino bookstores do you think they have? Zero. Austin, how many Latino bookstores do you think Austin has? Zero. How many Latino bookstores are there in Texas? You are in it. We are in a book desert. All of our communities are in book deserts. We started at the Gulfton neighborhood in Houston, which is a big Central American, Salvadoran American, Guatemalan American community. No bookstores around there at all. Actually, not just a book desert for Latino books. There are no bookstores around there at all. Um, and then we're going to be hearing the wonderful poetry of Claudia Castoluna in a little bit with her book, Cipota Under the Moon, which is a powerful book. But I, I mention all that because I really applaud her for being willing to jump in a car. <laughs> so as Libertarificantes, we're used to doing this. Not everybody's used to jumping in cars, buses, or vans and going city to city. Uh, so we started in Houston. She jumped in the car, you know, to the three hours to Austin. Jump in the cab for the hour and a half with traffic, though. What's up with that? It's like two hours from <laughs> from Austin. It was crazy. Um, but you said, I want to get to the people, which is fantastic. And I also want to let you know, that was possible because the Latino bookstore ordered the books. So we went to where the community is, and we brought your book. We had Leticia Orieta reading with us for Let's Culturas Spain Austin. Um, and we went to the community. We're so happy San Antonio shares its abundance. Because this is San Antonio's crown of many crowns, of many jewels it has. This is, this is a crown jewel. But you gotta share it. <laughs> you gotta share it because the other cities don't have this. And this is one way to do it. So in Houston. The Libre Traficante Trail begins because that's where the Libre Traficantes were founded. Thank you. And then, uh, of course, Nuestra Palabra Latino de San Jose was also founded in Houston. But there, so there we, we were able to do it in the Gulfton area at the Alta Arts, beautiful new facility, Gulfton neighborhood. Then from there, we went to La Peña Cultural Center in Austin, which is all we should applaud them. So La Peña Cultural Center focuses on visual arts more than other arts. But now, after our caravan of bamboos to Austin, we're following up and we gave them some books for an underground library. They've set it up beautifully. It's gorgeous. So if you go in there, I want to remind folks, it's on uh, 6th and Congress. You can see the Capitol building in the front of the building. You know you're there because it says tacos and art. <laughs> and when you walk in, 
visual art all over. It's beautiful. And then in the back, it's, it really feels like a golden underground library. Because <laughs> you gotta, you kind of gotta know and have the, you know, gumption to go back there. There they have set up the books that were donated from all over, including some of the banned books of now. But there's also banned books from 10 years ago when Arizona banned Mexican American studies and we became Uber Tapicantes. Uh, I'm so glad the community united to overturn that. But I do want to name those facilities because it's our community creating spaces that we can then come and visit. And it takes great writers that have the vision to go there and be open to get jumping in a <laughs> going city to city. And each one's a little different, but also the partnerships. It's made possible because of the Latino bookstore. Uh, I'm Tony Diaz, the Libro Capricante, founder of Nuestra Palabra, Latino Writers Never Never Say. I'm the literary curator here. I love being a book smuggler. Yes. <laughs> We're good at it. <laughs> We're good at it. And most of them don't. And most of them don't parece, you know. But I also know we are the mainstream. We have a long history. We have a legacy. We're live streaming live right now. It's on the Nuestra Palabra, the Latino Writers Never Say Facebook page. It's going to air on Fox 26 Houston. Com. The audio will air on our radio show on 90.1 FM, KPFT, and of course it's on social media. But uh, Alice, who's going to speak in a little bit, she's been a volunteer for Nuestra Palabra going decades back. She, she lives in San Antonio now, but she was one of our early volunteers. Her daughter, Tanzi, was, is a wonderful poet. It's great to see her in the anthology, Echo in Texas, former teacher, and... Retired. Say who we love. Retired. Uh, it really is wonderful to see you. And if we have any success, it's because of the work of you and so many others. So please welcome Alice. To say a few very kind words, Tony. Thank you very much. Um, many, many, many volunteers in Houston put uh, the monthly showcases together. We, um, I was on the video crew that was way too much fun, dangerous even. But um, the performers, the poets, the writers, um, the singers. And um, what Tony and Alvaro Sarrios and, oh, the current poet laureate of Texas, Lupe, Lupe Mendez, and so many amazing people. Um, would show up like clockwork. The, the talent had to show up like about, oh no, laid out the mics and lighting and stuff at four o'clock. The talent had to be there. I found like 6.30 and then the show went on. Tony would mesmerize the people with his beauty and charm and beautiful voice and great eye contact, Tony. So, you know, really, that was one of the things I would coach some of the new uh, middle school writers. Because that's what Tony would do. He would set up, contact the elders, contact the young people, and then the monthly major writer that was doing a national tour. And it was so much fun, so educational in the most fun way you could get education. So um, it was, it's ongoing and growing. So and I'm so glad. I think 
before I left Houston, I put it got in your ear that you know when when you're doing the Hawaii tour that I kind of would like I'd like to be on that for sure. But I'm so grateful that North Carolina continued the essential work of spreading the word, expanding the word, getting the word written, published. So um, thank you. Volunteers are really a, a good thing to have. And totally thank you for being us. Thank you for showing the light, shining the light. Bless you all. Bless Thank you so much. I love you dearly. Love your family dearly. And you've given so much to us. It's great to see the fruits of labor. I will say this too. We're a blessed generation. Not many folks get to see the fruits of their labor. There have been other generations that, I mean, they didn't have the internet. They didn't have degrees. They worked so hard. They were so gifted, so talented. They, they pushed hard. They don't see the fruits of their labor. We're seeing that. Um, and on that note, I do want to mention some of the other partners that are working to get this known. Of course, we have uh, Christina Bailly, who's the director of the Guadalupe Cultural Arts Center. This is one of their many disciplines. There's about seven disciplines that are taking place right here, including the upcoming Cine Festival, which starts next week. You've got the posters in this. This is the art gallery component. These posters are from 40 years of Conjunto festivals that have been going on. The dance company just celebrated several decades of existence as well. I guess we're the new kid. The, the, book, <laughs> the bookstore is the new kid. And uh, we're very happy that that's here. So that's one partner. Next up is going to be Claudia Castro Luna with her beautiful book, Cipota Under the Moon. But I do want to point out several aspects, including it's published by Tia Chucha Press. And as you know, the founder, co-founder of Tia Chucha Press is Luis Rodriguez who's a very wonderful Chicano writer, um, former poet laureate of Los Angeles and current governor, gubernatorial candidate of California, <laughs> which is awesome. He was also on the curriculum that was outlawed in Arizona. Um, so it's wonderful that, you know, you have a Chicano publishing beautiful work talking about the Salvadoran American experience. And I've gotten to find out so much about you, the Salvadoran experience, um, including the fact that you mentioned this is your fourth book. And when you hear the writing, it's amazing. When I found out that it was, that there wasn't a line of 30 publishers trying to publish this potent work, it goes back to your point, Alice. Our representation is hurt because the folks that run the corporate publishing world, the corporate marketing world, they don't understand this. And I do want to say a little something about the tour um, in, in the Gulf. So Houston is the large, largest city in Texas, fourth largest city in America, 2 million people, supposedly 45% are Latino. I think that's an undercount. So possibly at least 900,000 people are Latino in Houston, right? At least. Second, of course, Mexican Americans are the largest part of that. The next largest group are Central Americans. So in Houston, there's an entire neighborhood called Gulfton that's the focus of the Central American experience. And they have a lot of infrastructure, a lot of folks there. I want to tell you, I didn't know about the struggles until I got to Houston 
and was working with a group called Crescent, and they were helping families file for political asylum because they were running from some of the civil wars you're going to write about in El Salvador. And the more I found out, the U.S. was not granting political asylum because the U.S. was involved in some of those wars. And it appears they couldn't recognize their own role in it and couldn't rec would not recognize that there was a war and just give these families political asylum. Um, I didn't know about any of that until I got involved with that community. So I think we as Chicanos must get involved with our other family members of the Latino family tree because their struggle is our struggle. Powerful poetry in this book, but engulfed in people were weeping. Their hearts were touched by the stories, not just because it's the highest level of aesthetics and skill, but because it's speaking to them. And I saw it with my own eyes. Um, what, what we saw on that stage, you know, 25 years ago almost, the moment someone finally sees their story told, it opens up their eyes and hearts. We have to keep doing it. You know, and we can, and it's going to keep growing. Um, you're in for a treat. It's going to be a wonderful reading. You're very generous with your brilliance. It's been fantastic to do this, uh, this fun tour. And uh, please give a warm welcome to Claudia Castro Luna. She reads from her new book, Cicuata Under the Moon. Welcome to San Antonio. Let me see if I could adjust. Can you hear me? Yeah? Okay. Gracias por venir. Thank you so much for being here and joining us. This has been an adventure of a lifetime um, because we have been moving from city to city, being in community and reading and just getting to know each other also. And um, I, it was a dream of mine to come to Houston because when my family came from El Salvador, we went to Miami, and from Miami, we went to New Jersey, and from New Jersey, we went to California. Um, and now I live in Washington State, so Houston has had always occupied a space in my imagination, but I've never been there. And I'm so thankful to you, Tony, for orchestrating this amazing tour and for bringing me to these various communities around Texas that is not the normal way in which books get distributed, right? Normally a book tour means you go to bookstores. And we have gone around that because this space here is a bookstore and way more, right? It's a bookstore, yes, but it's also a cultural center, a gathering space. Um, and we have shown, I think in our tour, that it's possible to do a book tour and not go into, you know, a more corporate space, right? To really be con la gente. And it's just such a joy for me to return um, home tomorrow. Um, and with this experience in my heart and to be able to come back. Because now I've been to Texas. <laughs> now I know what I was missing. Um, and and I do plan to come back. So thank you so much to um, the Guadalupe Latino Bookstore and to the Traficante, to Nuestra Palabra and the Bible Arts Network, and La Peña Cultural Center in Austin, all the people in the Alto Arts in um, Houston that made this possible for me. It's really amazing. Um, 
And, and yes, I think we've talked a lot about the visibility that you're addressing. And certainly in Alta Arts, we witness the way in which Central Americans, and this in particular, the story of Salvadorans is invisibilized, right? I mean, I was at a college once giving a, a, a lecture, and as, as I was leaving, somebody said, we'd love to have you. You can come back for Cinco de Mayo. And I thought to myself, I don't even know that a Mexican-American or a Mexican person would want to come back for Cinco de Mayo, let alone a Salvadoran person, right? I mean, such a disconnect, such a not understanding of our individual stories. Um, and I think we're all the stronger when we understand each other's particularities. Um, compartimos una cultura, compartimos un idioma, compartimos historias, pero dentro de todo eso también hay diferencias. And understanding those differences and holding them and celebrating them is what's going to make us stronger. So, um, cipota under the moon, cipota. Does anybody here know what the word cipota means? Yeah. Niña. ¿Eres salvadoreña? Okay. ¿Cómo sabes? Es... Uh-huh. Yes. Yeah, it's a video. Yeah. Oh, gracias. Uh-huh. Oh, sí. no, no, it's a video. Chilpayate. Ah, yeah. Uh-huh. Porque es otra palabra. Ajá. Que tiene una influencia indígena, ¿no? Esas palabras. Ya, yeah, como cipota, cipote. So, en El Salvador, nobody says niño. So, cipote, so cipota. Or, so, is how we, eres cipota o eres cipote. And um, so, I realized that the publisher, Luis Rodriguez, was on board with calling this book Cipota Under the Moon. Because I think that a more mainstream publisher would have said, ah, what's that word? That's weird. We don't want that. But here we have somebody who totally was, has an understanding of our background and said, yeah, let's name it Cipota, which just means girl. Um, so I'm going to start with, um, this book is divided in four sections. The first section is a witnessing of the Salvadoran Civil War. So we are here. Salvadorans, and I will speak only for the Salvadoran experience, because there was a civil war in El Salvador in the 1980s, but really started much earlier, but in the 1980s, it exploded. And it is the trigger for the now over 1 million Salvadorans. We are the fourth largest Latino group in the U.S. Um, And of course, it's always undercounted. Right, so one million official, uh, but there's many of us here, and many of us who have been born in the U.S. now. So we have people like me, who was born in El Salvador, lived through the war, and then there are those who have been born here, who are children of immigrants. Um, and this is a history for me that is really important to document and to tell, especially as a person like myself who witnessed it, and especially because I was a child. Um, I was 13, 12, 13, 14, um, 
And we don't have those accounts of the impact of state violence in children. I mean, we're talking about Ukraine now. This is the same story, right? And not only in Ukraine, but Syria, Afghanistan, Palestine, all of those places where war is happening and affecting the lives of children. So that's how this book is positioned. So I'll start with um, I'll start with this poem titled Tyranny of the Milky Way. Can you all hear me? Yeah? yeah? Okay. The way clouds taste as they go from castles to rabbits above your head, you are 12, your skin damp from the humid tropical day, the grass under your arms and legs benign, even if itchy. The way a million stars scatter at night, and you, in jersey gown and bare feet, seek the same spot from earlier in the day to count far away incandescent rocks. Tucked behind your ear, your secret wish to spot a single UFO. The way a slice of tres leches cake on your 13th birthday surrenders in unison on your tongue its sweet milks. The way at 12 you tasted marvel, and by 14 you tasted war. So this next poem is titled Hija de los Dias. My 14th birthday happened in a November lost to a brackish year. Newspaper headlines from the first 16 days of that month listed the following. On the second day, 10 bodies of unidentified young men were found ditched on the road to Apulo. Two days later, a man was gunned down and killed in his car in northern San Salvador. The following day, another man succumbed when his furniture store was attacked. On the 7th, in the city of Santa Ana, a 13-year-old boy and four adults were attacked and killed. On the 15th, a union leader died of gunshot wounds. The next day, a colonel, his wife, and his children, 11 and 15, were carbonized when incendiary bombs exploded in their house. Pet days and plucks of hope. My parents did not sing my birthday. They must have felt war's vertigo, the gathering of ashes inside people and things. These days, I pull weeds in my garden and just assume new ones leaf back up. Is that resilience? Happy birthday, Papa. Happy birthday, Mama. Happy birthday. Happy birthday. Happy birthday to you. I know it's it's very it's hard to look at the historical record of El Salvador. So this this is this is an actual story. I'm not making this up, right? This this is actually taken from the historical record, these deaths that I'm relating. My birthday is the 15th of November, so I'm really telling what I gathered from my research um, about what was going on. And I read that now and I think it's impossible. It's, it's just so unbelievable that we lived through the terror of the Salvadoran Civil War when you look at it on paper. And, you know, we survived. 
I'm here. You know, I'm, I'm reading these poems. You may have relatives or have friends. I mean, you've known people from El Salvador, right? And, this, and the thing is, we wouldn't be here had it not been for the U.S. who got deeply involved and sent billions of dollars in military aid to El Salvador and destabilized the whole, the whole region, you know? Um, so it's, it's always, I always, what you said before, Tony, about we're never experts on ourselves. You know, there's always like, can you tell me about the, you know, Latino experience and the person being asked is not Latino. This happens to Salvadorans a lot, where they'll go to ask an expert, but never to the people who have, who, who live this, you know, war, right? It happens all the time. I mean, I think that was very much in the back of my mind as I was working on this book. Like, I have to get, I, I had an urgency to get these poems down because they tell a story from the point of view of somebody who actually lived this, from my family who got splintered, uh, from family members who died, right? And when we see those people asking for asylum at the border, at your border here, um, it's not, I mean, by that I mean that this is the, the where the, the war, where Mexico and the U.S. meets and where this tragedy is happening, that people are being denied asylum. It's, um, it's, it's not because people just decided one day to pick up their, their bags and start walking across Mexico. It's because it's coming from this, right? So this poem is titled Caravans. Marching to the tune of millions of dollars in military aid, a caravan sent out in 1980 from the United States toward El Salvador. Sorry. Marching to the tune of millions of dollars in military aid, a caravan set out in 1980 from the United States toward El Salvador. As part of it, more than 32,000 M16A1 and A2 rifles snake southward, each machine capable of dislodging 800 rounds of ammunition per minute, 800 bullets per minute on the first day, on the second, and every subsequent day for 12 years. Years of dispatching obedient bullets to seek and kill the soft bodies that were their targets. Three decades and thousands of deaths later, a new caravan, not of weapons, but of war survivors, inches north to the place where the rifles came from. Women pushing strollers, fathers and sons, fathers and daughters walking, hundreds of miles walking. A boy walks wearing a scapular, the cloth soaked with holy water now encrusted with sweat. A woman walks carrying fresh fear in her belly, the inevitability of their steps over their silence and forgetting. On the way, an angry river drowns the voices of a young father and his toddler daughter. The two face down her little arm around his neck. The shortest distance between two points is a straight line. Sometimes the line in question bends on itself, takes a rapacious detour, orbits around the sun a few times. So it is that yesterday's bullets claim bodies today. Um, and maybe I'll read, um, I'll read 
three more poems. Um, this one's titled Noticias, and this, again, in this tour, you know, when you leave a country like El Salvador and the violence, gender violence, the violence of environmental degradation, the violence of political repression, all these different violences that Central Americans have endured, we, we make it here, right? I, I've been living in the United States now for over 40 years. We make it here, and you think, we made it. And then you end up in a, in a city or in a place where there's the violence of racism. There's the violence of guns, you know? And, and suddenly you're in another war that is looking a little different, but it's, 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 it's violence once again, right? So um, this is titled Noticias. Each morning, news of the dead. Today, a headline says, homicides are up and a weary community burns. Most times, Articles list the names of the dead, of the departed. This morning, the headline reads simply, Man Shot. Somewhere, someone takes, somewhere, someone tastes the bitterness, mourns the gait of his step, the sound of his voice, his funny bone. The truth is, today's news smells like old news like the nameless dead that appeared across El Salvador in the days of the war, broken up, tortured, and left in ditches for birds' beaks. The truth is, in El Salvador, the dead are still showing up bald and nameless. The truth is, it happens here too. The truth is, they are dead, and we are not. The truth is, we pilfer them, the dead. We leech them for a purpose and sharpen pride against their bones. They alone can tell where we are going, and they always know what the piñata holds. And, and yet, you know, despite the violence, um, we... We still have piñatas, we still have together, we still celebrate, we still gather, we still insist, right? And there's that, there's that joy also that we carry despite all of that. And that is an amazing feat. That is an amazing feat. This one, the last part of the book is very much about going back to El Salvador after, after spending so much time here and longing for it, but being afraid to go back because of the war wounds and the trauma that in my head, many times, until the Lord is what it was in 1980 when Monsignor Romero got killed and I was in El Salvador, or when the Marinol nuns, the American Marinol nuns got murdered on the way to the airport and I was living there, right? So, um, um, it's very hard to, to go back and I have to trick myself mentally to say, I'm going back, but it's not what it was, it's something new. I don't know what it is, but my family's still there. I have cousins, my father lives there. So I go back and visit, but there's always that moment of tricking myself. Um, so this is titled Ensalada. And Ensalada is a drink. Ensalada is a salad, of course. But in El Salvador, cuando dices Ensalada, it's a drink, and the drink, believe it or not, has salad leaves in it that are chopped really finely, 
and it has marañón and piña, and um, my kids love it. I've taught them how to make it. Um, so this is called ensalada. I am here again, again sitting, reading in the courtyard of the adobe house where I grew up in its belly button, which is also mine. Its lush garden, one long sigh of glistening leaves, lanceolate and sagittate, orbicular and ready form, each leaf an emerald goddess. Birds sing today of yesterday, and their trilling enchants and enlivens everything. Up above a limpid sky, I return to this place often. To this place, I return always to the trees and the leaves, to the red-tiled roof, to the doves. I return, I return to, drink, to it and drink all of it, heaven and earth, leaf, flower, stone, like a tall glass of chilled pineapple juice. Better yet, a glass of ensalada, pedacitos de piña, lechuga y mamey, pedacitos de infancia, de recuerdos locos y a veces tristes también. Thank you. Um, and I'll close with the closing poem of the collection, which is called Leave the Gate Open on Your Way Out. On a quiet street, a blue-laden rose bush leads into the sidewalk. Its orange flowers swirl and palms, buds shoot up to meet the sun, which in time will ripen their promise. On the same bush, next to fragrance and splendor, in quiet hush, invalid roses drop fading petals one by one. At the end of the street stands a hospital. It houses a morgue and a maternity ward. My own three children were born within its walls. To give birth is a revolution. Leave the gate open on your way out, better for the angels and the devil to come and go. The path to happiness is by way of pain and sorrow. That is something my abuela could have said. On the quiet street, many pass by the rosebush, exuberant or crestfallen. The shrub stands ready to share loss and joy, but only with those who stop to smell its roses. Thank you so much. I, I, once upon a time, I served as a, a poet laureate of the state of Washington, and I got to travel extensively through Washington State, and I ended my meetings always with a Q&A, and it was always the best part of the meeting. Um, so I, I, I always love to end with uh, questions, and if there's a chance to read another poem as a way of answering a question, I'd be happy to do that. Uh, but I don't know. I don't know if anybody 
if any of you have questions about El Salvador or yeah. Question about the book itself, the plot and the story. Yes. Can you briefly tell us what it is? The, the plot of the, of the book itself? Yeah, well, Cipota under the book refers, it, it comes from a blog that I started eons ago called Cipota Bajo la Luna, obviously because my last name is Luna. Um, and, and the Cipota question is myself, of course. Um, but it really, you know, it's funny that you ask that because the book can be read as an anti-war book. It is an anti-war book. And it is a book, not only is an anti-war book, but it's it's a book that really one of the, the, the thought strands through the book is to show how violence affects children and how that the impact of, and the trauma uh sometimes may not be visible until many years later, right? I mean, here I am, you know, 40 years after my family left, and I swear to you, there's not a day in which I don't deal with the aftermath of the trauma. Physically, I'm talking physically, because it affected me physically. Um, and so I think I'm just one, and I'm a lucky one. I'm alive, I have, you know, my faculties, right? So, but there are many Salvadorans who, many, many, there was a terrible market for children in El Salvador during the war. Many children were robbed and stolen. Uh, there was um, many people who lost limbs that don't get accounted for, you know, the, the impact, right? So there's a lot of people like many more. Vietnam too is the same way. Many people lost limbs because of um, bombs and other detonants on, on roads and so on. So, um, so yeah, the book begins with uh, with my story as a child and it focuses on the story of my sister as we went to school and went to swimming lessons and had birthdays and, and navigated the war. People managed to do things to live despite that kind of violence. And so the second part of the book is being in the United States as an immigrant and dealing with the different kinds of violences that I spoke before. The third part of the book is my return to El Salvador, the few times that I've come back. And the last part really is just, um, it's, it's kind of like Aquino Mas, you know, I'm here, you know? And, and I have, there was a time where I couldn't say the things I just said without crumbling and crying to say, you know, I survived the war is a terrible thing to have to say. Um, and so I would completely be overwhelmed by that. And I, writing about it has helped me understand myself and our history and to be, I'm, I'm able to speak about it from a different position, if that makes sense. So that's kind of what, that's the trajectory of the book. Yeah, yeah. So I could read at the opening poem to that question. This is called Agua de Beber. Once there was a girl who lived in a country called Fear. There her fingers cracked and split into sharp mouths that screamed when she could not scream. Sometimes her hands itched and she scratched them viciously. With the scratching, her pores swelled. 
At big moments, they burst, releasing the liquid within. The girl feared many things, but death most of all, not her own, but that of her parents, through whom she saw and valued the world. That little girl's still around. She lives inside me, sneaking pistachio ice cream whenever she can. Now, when my hands begin to crack and split, I panic and recoil from the pain this causes and from the pain they cause the girl. Long ago, my hands learned to cry in my stead. They carved deltas at the tip of my fingers that took me to ocean. Oh, how deep, how vast the great water, how it's luscious inside my belly. Oh, how beautiful the world to which I belong. So, Poem that kind of encompasses the whole thrust of the book. I'm yeah. Use my helpful privileges in asking. Two questions you can just answer. One or both. Um, one is I didn't know about the children being squashed. Oh, yeah. And two, um, it's dawning on me the, the I knew from reading the poems the power of the Luna, as your name, etc. Uh, but it's coming out more. I wouldn't mind your point about that. So that's two questions. Yeah. Yeah. So during the war, you know, there was a black market for children uh, in El Salvador. And often um, there were villages where soldiers came and they killed everybody. And often there would be babies left or very young children. Wow. And those kids were scooped up and taken and sold. Um, and there was a, a black market for kids. So to the point where El Salvador now has a commission that post-war trying to reconnect people all over the world who have no idea who their families are. And they've managed to connect a few. They've managed to connect people. You know, the New York Times did a piece several years ago of, of those children who well-intended people adopted them Somebody made money on the kids. So at one point, I myself tried to adopt a, a kid from El Salvador. And El Salvador, at the time, because my children are older now, was banned from the international adoption um, regulators because of what happened during the war. So you couldn't officially adopt a baby because they had behaved so badly um, that they were banned from from like people go to China or Korea or whatever, that those channels were closed because of this black market that existed during the war with children. So both things, I mean, I don't know if they've opened that, but when I was trying to adopt a kid from El Salvador, I could not do it because of that reason. Because I wanted to, you know, legally adopt the baby and bring, you know, be my baby, right? Um, but I do know that they continue to have this um, this nonprofit in El Salvador working to reconnect people. Um, yeah, it's terrible, terrible historias, terribles de la guerra. And then my name, well, my name is, my mom's name is Luna. Her family's Los Luna. My father's name is Castro, and so I wear both names. Uh, they're not hyphenated. They're Castro Luna, right? A lot of people want to put up, I'm like, no. Uh, when I graduated from school, I uh, 
I had to fight with the school people because they wanted to put gastronomic hyphen. It's like, no, you know, it's because my dad and my mom, and that's how it is in most Latin American countries. We wear both both names. And I, I do have a poem. How about if I read the poem and then call it quits? Is that good? Is that good, everybody? Yeah? Oh, yeah. some things that you might have learned about yourself while writing this? Yeah, I mean, thank you for that question. It took me, I was telling Johnny, there's a poem here about Pompusas that I wrote about eight years ago. So some of these poems are really old and some of the poems are more recent. Um, parallel to this set of poems, I was also working on a memoir, so on a prose, on a book, right, that's prose. And it's taken me a really long time, partly because sometimes all I could write was a paragraph. You know, I ended up in the hospital two times remembering writing about the war, convinced that I had heart attacks. Um, and the episodes were maybe maybe five years in between the first one and the second one where I thought I had, I really thought I was having a heart attack. Well, the first time my colleagues thought I was having a heart attack because I lived in a very... Uh, in a place that had a lot of gun violence, and every time I hadn't put the two and two together, but the gun violence would just make a, would make a wreck. My hands would start peeling and cracking, and I hadn't yet connected that the violence, the urban violence that was triggering the the war violence. I hadn't figured that out yet, um, and I lived with this crazy pain. And so they took me to the hospital. They hooked me all up, and you know. Um, I didn't have a heart attack. I was just suffering from terrible stress. Um, and even then, the doctors didn't put it together. And I signed a stack of papers saying, I'm walking away at my own risk. I may still die from this heart attack, but whatever. And the second time it happened was while I was writing. I was writing about the death, the killing of one of my cousins. Um, and that, that afternoon, uh, my husband came from work and I said, I think I need to go to the hospital. Like, it, the pain was so intense. It was really, it was just too real to ignore. And this time, they were very, you know, they hooked me. I mean, when you walk up to an emergency room with heart attack symptoms, they take it seriously. And again, they, you know, they did all kinds of tests and the test showed up positive. I mean, not that I would, my heart and my breathing, my blood, that was everything were, were normal. And then I realized, sitting there with my husband, I started laughing. I said, I think this is because I was writing about the war. I think that's what happened. And then I, I thought, you know, I don't suffer from a heart attack. I suffer from war. That's my problem. I, I said, that's my illness. Um, so, yes, it's been, it's been hard at times. Yeah. Yeah. Salvador,
I was going to say, we were we were at the Floricato Festival in San Francisco. Oh my God, that's amazing! Oh my God, yes, we did. I thought I recognized you when you walked in. Yes, but Leticia, Hernandez matters. Oh my God, that's I was going to That's incredible. That's incredible. I was just reading from Sipota. Yeah, that's yeah, that's amazing. That's amazing. Thank you for being here. Cultural Center in, in San Francisco two weeks ago. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Amazing, amazing. Um, so I can read this this poem, Club and Move, um, because yeah, it just it's the history of us not being seen, right? Um, Club and Move. The officer in charge of processing my family's entrance to the United States stated that from that moment on, my name was to be Claudia Castro. The passport says her name is Claudia Castro Luna, my mother objected. Here we only use one last name, said the officer, and closed the matter with the gavel of his voice. Your moon got taken away from you, said my friend, when I recounted the story. But when the officer eclipsed the luna of my name, the sensation was more like having a limb chopped off. For years, I walked like that, cloven, until pen in hand, I began to weave into blank pages, tamales de lote, scent of yerba buena, spells of flor de muerto, the riot of a Tuesday market in Aguachapan, the Nahuatl, sageness of my abuela. I did not know then that weaving like this, warp of memory, weft of daring, had the power to sew back the name chopped off at an INS center on that January morning in 1981. All I know is that one day I walked into a social security office, took the number, and waited my turn to expand the canon of last names in this country. I pilgrimaged the Department of Motor Vehicles, registrar's offices, bank teller windows, and once La Luna hung again in the firmament of my name, its light spilled beneath my skin and filtered back, sorry, into the world from the open mouths of a million pores. I do want you to meet her, get your book signed. I'm going to make three more announcements. Uh, one are some promises. A second will be a little bit of housekeeping. And then third will be previews for our next sets of readings. Um, let's make some promises. Y'all want Claudia back? Yes. Yeah. All right. 
Texas. Uh, Roberto, Roberto, you want to come back to Houston with Claudia? También, we can all go back to, to Houston. Uh, not, not now, but in the future, we bring her back. We do a nice tour of Central America until like we did now. Yes. Oh, no, all right. I love it. I love it. Let's do that. Let's do that. I love it. I love it. So we're going to do that. We're going to work on that. That's what this is about. This is not a typical corporate transaction, right? Because we're learning more about each other. Series. Love it. Love it. Love it. And, and this, this, and this will be a chance to recapitulate what we did. Now, this time around, with the space here, we got Nick, uh, Guadalupe Latino Bookstore ordered the books. We took those books to Houston because there's not a Latino bookstore there. We did a great event there in the Central American community because there's more Central Americans in Houston. It's just, that's just a fact. And then from there, we drove. Hours <laughs> to Austin to La Peña Cultural Center. Right there is the site of the Underground Library. And there's not Latino bookstores in Austin either. We did a great meeting there and they want us back. So we go to Houston, Austin, come back here, and then we'll keep thinking up more ideas. Um, you know, so it's going to happen. I'm excited. So that every time this is one meeting with us, I have to get people there that's kind of questionable. But yeah, I love it. I love it. The other thing I'm going to add too is Chicanos and, and Mexican Americans. Um, we were fighting when Arizona banned Mexican American studies, and we were fighting for Chicano civil rights and, um, and Mexican American history, but we weren't excluding anybody. It's just that we were being directly attacked. On that note, we fought and came back to fight for Mexican American history in the schools, which is now an elective. What should be coming down the pipeline would be Salvadoran American studies, Guatemalan American studies. And here's why it should be its own its own discipline. Otherwise, if it's if it's just a general class, Salvadoran Americans get one week. And just from hearing now, they need the whole semester. So we'll work on that as well. Uh, housekeeping. So, um, yes. Um, so please do replenish your family library. Um, or give this to your nephews, nieces, uh, in a little bit. You, you can come up, um, you can get your book signed, get a picture with her, and then you can pay for the book on the way up. You can text your friends and say, hey, want me to get a cool book for you? <laughs> to continue to support that. Uh, and we look forward to that. And then, uh, of course, this is the first Friday reading, so every first Friday of the month we have a, a reading, and when we lament that as ego that next up, uh, it will be my book. So on this week, it's the launch of the Southern Pyramid, Capital, so thank you, appreciate that. And I'm going to pass up a sign-up sheet. If you'd like to join Nuestra Palabra San Antonio, uh, then we can have you involved to, to work out here as well. So, so hey, thank you so much for coming
This has been a multi-platform broadcast of Nuestra Palabra, Latino writers having their say. It's on social media. You can, of course, tune in to KPFT 90.1 FM, Houston's community station. And you can also watch our content on fox26houston.com. This is Tony Diaz, Libre Traficante. I want to thank Roxana Guzman, Rodrigo Bravo, and everybody who's supporting our cultura and our arte. Thank you.